As we were singing that song, thought about the hope that Fanny Crosby must have had as she wrote about that song to become like Christ and for her body to be resurrected as she wrote songs about seeing the scenes of the cross and watching and waiting for Christ, a woman who was blind, hoping to see. Let's pray together. Our God in heaven, we thank you for the promise that you give to us, that you are making us more and more like Christ each day, and that one day we will fully be like you, enjoying a body like your resurrected body. And I pray, God, that we would live up to these things that we have attained through your Son. We ask these things in his name. Amen. May the Lord be with you. As we are going through this sermon series of Becoming Like Christ, I wondered this week how I could uh, preach in a way that Jesus did and preach like Christ. And so I made up a parable this week and want to begin this week with a parable. The kingdom of God is like two vineyard owners. The first vineyard owner bought a vineyard, and during the first year, he had a tremendous crop of grapes. He sat back and enjoyed the large crop of grapes and earned quite a bit of money from them. But he did not water his vines. He did not fertilize them. He did not prune them. He did not do the work of a vineyard owner. The second year, he also had a good crop, but not as good as the first. By the third year, he had just a few grapes, and the fourth year produced even less, and by the tenth year, he had no grapes at all. The vineyard owner became embarrassed and thought, I know what I will do. So he went out, and he bought a bunch of grapes, and he bought a bunch of string, and he tied the grapes to his vines. The second vineyard owner was not like the first. The vineyard owner planted his seed in good soil. He gave it the proper amount of water and the proper amount of fertilizer. In the first year, he had no grapes. But he continued to do the same thing. In the second year, he also had no grapes, but he continued to do the same things. He watered the ground. He gave it the proper amount of fertilizer. He put good, rich compost all around the small, growing vines, and he waited. He continued every day and every year to do the work of a vineyard owner, eventually pruning the vines as they grew, until one year, his crop of grapes was the largest crop in the whole valley. We have been hopping through the book of Philippians over the last few weeks. In this letter to the church at Philippi, Paul speaks frequently about the goal that God has for us, and this goal that we should have for ourselves, to become like Christ. 
It's in this letter to the Philippians that Paul challenges us to have the same attitude as Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, became a servant and died for us. It's in our text for today uh, in Philippians where we read Paul's own vision of life, this vision to know Christ and to become like him in his death and in his resurrection. And he gives us this challenge to press on, to press forward, to take hold of the prize for which Christ has called us. Last week we spoke about this prize, this work of God's grace in our lives, this salvation that we've received in Christ. And we talked about how salvation is to be formed into the image of Christ. Our salvation is not only about a moment in the past where our sins were forgiven. Salvation is not only about a moment in the future when we will be in the presence of God. Our salvation also is a present reality that we are invited into. We are being saved moment by moment as the Holy Spirit forms us into the image of Christ, forgiving us of our sins and also setting us free from our sin. We are being saved moment by moment as the Spirit forms our inward character to be more and more like Christ. And all of this salvation that we're speaking of is a work of grace. It is the work of the Spirit in our lives to bring about this salvation of becoming like Jesus in every way. And Paul tells us that we are to work out this salvation ourselves with fear and trembling, to live our lives with a sense of awe and wonder at this amazing gift of grace that we have been given, and to join with God by doing our part to make our salvation, this becoming like Christ, a present reality in our lives. That is to say that there are things that we must do in response to God's grace to make this salvation visible in our life, to work out this salvation in our lives. And as we do these things, as we go about doing this work, the Holy Spirit will be faithful to shape us more and more into the character of Christ. The goal in our present daily life is to routinely choose to do what Jesus would choose to do if he were in our place. That's the goal of, I think, our present lives, to routinely choose to do what Jesus would choose to do if he were in our place, to become like him. As we are his disciples, we are seeking to become like him who is our master. And the Spirit is working to change our character so that we gladly, freely, even routinely choose to do what is good and right, just as Jesus did. For many of us, the thought of living a holy life means doing a bunch of things that we'd rather not do and abstaining from a bunch of things that we really would rather do. And that's what living a holy life is really all about, is doing a bunch of things that we'd really rather not do and abstaining from things that we'd really prefer to do. Last week I gave the illustration of what food my dog would choose, a carrot or a piece of red meat. She would always choose the meat because it's in her nature to eat meat rather than a carrot. Likewise, in our sinful nature, it is in our nature to choose sin. The Spirit is seeking to change our nature so that we desire to choose what is good, not reluctantly, but gladly. 
certainly as we do battle with our flesh, sometimes we will have to begrudgingly even resist sin. And it's certainly a part of living a holy life. But the Spirit's goal is for us to happily and freely resist sin and do what is right. To change our inner nature so that we routinely do what is right and good. So in our text today, Paul gives us this calling to press on, to strive for this goal to become like Christ, to press on toward this goal to be like Christ in this way, to take hold of this salvation in our life. And Paul begins this challenge in verse 12 with a very important statement. Not that I have already obtained all this. Paul's goal is to become like Christ. And he knows that he has not yet obtained that goal. He still falls short. He is imperfect. He has not yet made it. And part of becoming like Christ, in fact, the first way, first thing we must do in becoming like Christ is admit that we are not yet like him. That this is a journey, that we are on our way, but we aren't there yet. This is a simple thing, but we tend not to do this very well. I mean, of course, there's no one in here who would stand up and say, I'm perfect. Um, All of us would admit that we're not perfect. But we tend to admit that we're not perfect in a very vague way. If I asked you today, are you perfect? You'd say no. I want to ask you, when was the last time that you ever confessed a sin to another? We don't do confession very well. We know we're not perfect, but we know we're not in a very vague way. And I think that as we seek to become like Christ, we need to admit that we all have junk in our lives. In our evangelical Bible-believing churches, I think we've become real experts at hiding our sin. We hide our sin. We may or may not actually sin less than our neighbor, but we've become very good at hiding it from others. It seems to me that the Christian life has become, in many ways, simply living an outwardly acceptable life to those around us, rather than being people who actually are becoming holy people by the power of the Spirit. I think that too often we do not view sin as disobedience to God, but instead sin as something that would be unacceptable to our church, or unacceptable to those around us. Sin has become a boundary marker that lets people know who is in the church and who really isn't in the church. John Ortberg, previously a pastor at Willow Creek, uh, speaks quite well about this, and I want to read a quote from one of his books. He says this, The church I grew up in had its boundary markers. A prideful or resentful pastor could have kept his job. But if ever the pastor was caught smoking a cigarette, he would have been immediately fired. This was not because anyone in the church actually thought that smoking was a worse sin than pride or resentment, but because smoking defined who was in our subculture and who was not. It was a boundary marker. As I was growing up, Having a quiet time became a boundary marker, a measure of spiritual growth. If someone had asked me about my spiritual life, I would immediately think, have I been having a regular and lengthy quiet time? 
my initial thought was not, am I growing more loving toward God and other people? Boundary markers change from culture to culture, but the dynamic remains the same. If people do not experience authentic transformation, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for the boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. Let me say that last sentence again. If people do not experience authentic transformation, then their faith will deteriorate into a search for boundary markers that masquerade as evidence of a changed life. Sin, too often, has become a list of do-nots that sets boundary markers around a particular community, rather than sin being something that needs to be radically eliminated from our lives. Sin has become something that defines what it means to be on the outside of the church, rather than something that the church comes alongside one another in order to help one another eliminate from our lives. Brothers and sisters, all of us in the room this morning have our stuff. We have our junk. We have the things that are in this, on the inside that we are ashamed of, that we do not want to come to the light, so ashamed of that we thought, if anyone at Ebenezer possibly knew this about me, you'd be so ashamed. All of us have these things in our life. All of us need to be able to say what Paul said. Not that I have already obtained all this. And not to be able to say that in some general way, oh yes, I know that I'm not perfect, but in a very specific way. When was the last time you confessed your sin to another? I have a few people in my life for whom I can go to to confess sin. And in these relationships, I experience freedom. That freedom of being naked and unashamed. Being known in my sin and still to be loved. To know that I can say what I have done, to say what I have thought, and to be reminded from that person of the grace of the gospel. To be told, Jesus forgives you by a brother or sister in Christ is one of the greatest gifts that the church has to give one another. But I fear that it's not something that many of us get to hear very often because we do not practice confession very well. We do not often say to one another, not that I have already obtained all this, and here is the way that I fell short. But instead what we do is we go on managing our sin hiding our sin, so that it seems as if we've already obtained all this. On our journey to become like Christ, one of the things we must begin with is to be able to specifically say, not that I have obtained all this. The Christian life is not not about living an outwardly acceptable life so that others around us look at us and nod approvingly. It is not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life, true salvation, is about inwardly becoming like Christ. Jesus said, a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. Um, What did I I say that right? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It doesn't do the grapevine any good to go up and tie grapes onto it. What the vineyard needs, what the vine needs, 
is tending. It takes effort. And too often what we do as Christians is the equivalent of tying grapes to our grapevines. We tend the outside and neglect the inside. Unwilling to do the hard work of tending to the character of our souls, we do the easier and very meaningless work of looking like a Christian. I thought about entitling this sermon, Stop Looking Like a Christian. But it's just my first point today. Point number one in my sermon, stop looking like a Christian. If you're like me, you're a Christian, but you're not a very good one. So stop pretending that you are. Becoming like Christ is being able to be very honest in saying that you aren't very much like him. Let's be honest with the stuff in our lives. Let's have some people. We don't need to broadcast our sin to everyone. Well, let's have some people in our lives who we can confess to. And let's come alongside one another and destroy the sin in our life rather than simply managing it. Not that we have already obtained all this. That is an important start for all of us. When we can admit, when we can admit that we're not very good at this following Jesus thing, that we haven't already obtained it, then we will know that we need the Spirit's help. We can manage our sin pretty well. We're getting pretty good at it. We can hide it pretty well. That's not a problem. But if we want to destroy the sin in us, we need God's help and we need the help of others. The Spirit of God is willing. The Spirit of God is ready to shape us into the image of Christ. And the Spirit does this in many ways. And this morning I want to focus on two things that the Spirit uses to shape us into the image of Christ and and to destroy the sin that is in us. The first thing that the Spirit uses is the circumstances of our everyday lives. The second thing that the Spirit uses is our own commitment to the practice of spiritual disciplines. Two things that the Spirit uses, circumstances in our everyday life, and the Spirit uses our own commitment to the practice of spiritual disciplines. Disciplines. So first, the circumstances of our everyday lives. The Spirit uses those things to shape us into Christ-likeness. Of course, the Spirit also uses mountaintop experiences. And maybe you've had some of those in your life. I've certainly had some of those experiences in my life where I can look back and say there was a moment where uh, at a church camp or at a retreat somewhere where I experienced God in a rich way. Of course, the Spirit uses those. But those moments are rare. And more importantly and more frequently, the Holy Spirit uses the everyday life circumstances and trials in order to mold us and to shape us to become like Jesus. Turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James, the the brother of Jesus, writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is a remarkable thing to say. In our day-to-day lives, we face trials. These trials that James is talking about, I don't think are just big trials that we go through. Perhaps physical suffering or the loss of a loved one or financial trouble or these big ones. He says trials of many kinds, which I think includes also the little ones. Sometimes just getting up in the morning is a trial that we go through. Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. In the everyday trials of your life, God is at work in you to develop perseverance in you so that you will become mature. What would it be like for you to understand that in your moment of trial, whether it be very small or very great, what would it be like for you to understand that God is with you at that very point, in that very moment, seeking to make you more like Jesus? Think of something that you went through this past week. Maybe it was something really small, a a traffic jam, or perhaps it was something really frustrating like a sleepless night, or as many of us have experienced this week, the loss of a loved one. What would it be like for us in that moment to acknowledge the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives? To recognize that in that trial, small or big as it might be, that the Holy Spirit is there, seeking to use that trial to develop perseverance in you. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for it is in those trials that God is at work in you to do a deep work of maturing you. In our everyday experiences, God is present with us, seeking to develop in us perseverance. So can you receive the everyday circumstances of your life as an opportunity to become like Jesus. I hope that that thought is of some encouragement to you. As each of us go through our mundane, normal, everyday lives, to think that God is in the midst of that. That God is seeking to use that little trial in your life to do something in you. That it's not meaningless. That God has a purpose in it. The second thing that the Spirit uses is spiritual disciplines in order to make us more like Christ. Remember last week I uh, talked about how Gloria is learning to throw a baseball. So I would have her stand in front of me and to turn sideways, arm back, step and throw. We did that, I don't know, 15 or 20 times. Sideways, arm back, step and throw. Over time, if Gloria continues to do that, she will become proficient at throwing a baseball. Over time, if Gloria continues to do it, throwing a baseball may in fact become simply routine. She won't have to grit her teeth and try sideways, arm back, step throw. It'll just be something that she does. It will become a part of her. Spiritually, we have been given certain practices that the Spirit uses to make us proficient in holiness. These are actions that Jesus himself did, and as he did them, he grew up in holiness. He grew up spiritually. 
Spiritual disciplines are actions that will be used by the Spirit so that over time, our nature will become more and more like Christ. Over time, holiness will less and less be something that we have to grit our teeth and try to do, but holiness will become a part of our nature. It will become a part of who we are. Gary Player, one of the, the great golfers of the, late, of the last generation, was often criticized for being a very lucky golfer. And uh, he responded, that's true, and the more I practice, the luckier I get. What are spiritual disciplines? I want to say, first of all, that they are obviously disciplines. This means that you must do them regularly, if not daily. And they are actions that you cannot do simply as an addition to your already busy and normal life. If you're going to do them with intention, your normal life must in some ways go out the window. These must become of the highest priority for you. You will have to miss out on some other things in order to do them. You might miss out on some sleep. You might miss some meals. You might miss some opportunities for entertainment. You might even miss some good time with your family. Disciplines require sacrifice. It is in the nature of disciplines that they require sacrifice. They cannot simply be added on to everything else that we do. In some ways, our normal life will have to go. Some of you hearing that perhaps have already turned your back to the plow. But for those who are with me, let's keep going. Disciplines are practices that we do intentionally and regularly as a priority in our life. And secondly, disciplines are actions that we do over time that will enable us to do something that we cannot yet do on our own strength. Disciplines are actions that we do over time that will enable us to do something that we cannot yet do on our own strength. Next Sunday morning, um, Lord willing, I will be running in the Vancouver Half Marathon. Uh, The race is at 7 a.m. My goal is to finish in under two hours, so your prayers at about 8.30 would be really appreciated. In January, I could not run 13 miles. It was not within my ability or my strength to do it. But I practiced some things that I could do in order to, over time, enable me to run 13 miles, I hope. I stretched, I ran three miles, I ran five miles, I ran eight miles, I ran three miles again, I ran three miles again, I ran three miles again, I ran eight miles, I ran 10 miles. These This discipline enabled me over time to have the ability to do something that I could not do before. That is, again, we hope, finish a half marathon. Disciplines are practices that we do intentionally and regularly, and we do them with a purpose to enable us to do something that we could not do before. That is a discipline. But these are spiritual disciplines. The purpose for them is to transform our spiritual life. The work that is done is not an outwardly physical thing, 
to be able to swing a golf club or throw a baseball or run 13 miles. The work that is done is a spiritual work. It is a work of the heart. It is a transformation of our character. And this means that spiritual disciplines require perhaps more patience and perhaps more time. And the results will not always be immediately obvious, although eventually they will become more and more obvious. And as they are spiritual disciplines, they are not done by ourselves, but are done in the presence of the Holy Spirit. As we enter into these practices, we need to first ask the Holy Spirit to come. To ask him to come and to use them to change us. To open our hearts and minds to allow the Spirit to change us. So spiritual disciplines are things not done on our own, in our own strength, or by ourselves, but are practices done in the presence of the Spirit. Now, there are many different examples of spiritual disciplines. There are dozens of them. And Jesus is our master. And as we are his disciples, we can learn what disciplines we should practice by very simply looking at his life. What did Jesus do? What were his regular intentional practices? As his disciples, we should look to him and do what he did. Jesus fasted. Jesus spent time in solitude. Jesus spent time in silence. Jesus spent time serving other people. Jesus spent time studying the word of God. Jesus spent time in prayer. And he himself grew up spiritually. Jesus was not born with uh, the Bible kind of downloaded into his brain. Jesus grew up in the knowledge of the word of God, and over time, through his study of it, he was able to speak it and to live it at the right time, at the right place. Jesus himself grew up in his relationship with his heavenly Father. It was something that he cultivated through silence, through solitude, through prayer. Over time and practice, he learned to discern the voice of his heavenly Father. We are called to be his disciples, to grow up spiritually in the way that he did, to look at his life and ask ourselves the question, what did Jesus do in his spiritual life? And what also could we do? The kingdom of God is like two vineyard owners. So which one are you? Have you, over time, had to resort to going out and buying some grapes and some string, and tying up grapes to your grapevine? Or are you doing the work of a vineyard owner? Are you engaging in the spiritual practices that are necessary to grow in Christ-likeness? Are you tending the soil of your spiritual life? Are you making sure that your soul is receiving the nourishment that it needs from the word of God, from times of silence, from times of solitude, from times of prayer? Or have you become very good at doing the very meaningless work of looking like a Christian? All of us are at different places on this journey of becoming like Christ. But what is true of all of us is that all of us are dependent on the Spirit of God in our lives 
And if we are going to progress on this journey at all, then it will take a commitment for us to practice the actions of a disciple, to practice the actions of a vineyard owner. So what is the next step for you? What spiritual discipline is God calling you to commit to for a time in your life? Maybe that's a question that you have no idea about how to answer. Maybe you've never heard or even thought of spiritual disciplines in the way that I've described them today or have ever really practiced them in your life. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to do one of or all three of these things, just very briefly. First, spend time reading through the Gospels, paying attention to what Jesus did. What were his practices? What did he do? And begin to ask God what he might be inviting you to do. And then to commit over a period of time to do it regularly and ask the Holy Spirit to come and to use that time to transform you. Read the Gospels. Read what Jesus did. Become his disciple and allow him to teach you. Secondly, while Jesus is your first teacher, it is good also to have others journey with you. I want to suggest we have some excellent books in our church library that can help you in this process. There are three that are sitting right on the top of the white little bookshelf uh, right outside of the library. They're all by Richard Foster. Uh, Anything by Richard Foster or by Dallas Willard are excellent books on the life of spiritual discipline. would encourage you to read them. And third, I invite you into my office, invite you into Brecca Bakery, and we'll have some coffee together, whichever you prefer, to sit down and to talk about your life, to pray together about what God is calling you to be about right now in your life. I'd be glad to come and walk alongside you in that journey. Are you pressing on? Are you straining forward to win the prize? Are you, with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe, seeking to work out your salvation? The Spirit of God is at work in you. And if we are willing to place ourselves in positions, in the circumstances in our everyday life, through the practice of spiritual disciplines, the Spirit of God will do tremendous things in you. What is God calling you to be about right now? Let's pray.